Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, James. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. Chris, welcome back in the studio. Fear the beard. Yep. I got my beard on. So, um, are you going to make it to a year? Um, it'll be really close. I don't know if I can make it that long. It's driving me crazy, and Autumn's so ready for me to have it shaved off now. She likes my beard, just not this long. Not a year long. It's an excellent awkward silence. Because everyone's always looking at me like, do, do you want me to keep talking? Do you want me to stop talking? So just kind of let them go. So I know every episode we're like, this is the best one we've ever done. But, and everyone relates to different ones. So all that dialogue. But the, Joe and Amy, this one was a banger. Oh, they are so amazing. I love these guys. And not just in like, dang, that was a crazy story. But just like who they are, their candor, the way they talk about it, like... I would listen to them talk about not just recovery, but like anything. Like we were sad to let them go. We didn't want them to go because we had like so many, we were recording and we were just like, just stay all night. Let's just have you keep going for another couple hours. It could have been five hours. No, totally. Um, And the way, and the way they dialogued um, and all, but I mean, you, so you know them personally. I've, I've known them for like 12 or 13 years. And just ever since I've known them, they've just been amazing people, just huge hearts for everyone around them and have just loved everybody just for who they are. No judgment from these guys. And they are just awesome. No, And so open. Um, You know, I mean, we have people who come on and share and they are unashamed. These guys are like the definition just so open, so honest, like so raw. Like some people, you might be like, well, were they really authentic Authentic about that piece? I promise you listening to this story, you will have no question. And Amy is even more unashamed than, than Joe. Like it's crazy how she is just like that. She always has been. Oh, it's so cool. And and this is one, um, so the, the bonus content on this episode, for those of you who don't know, we're a 5013C. I think I said that backwards. Five one anyway, two three. Yeah, what? A, we're a nonprofit organization. <laughs> um, so you can go unashamedunafraid.com slash donate. Um, and so when you subscribe, when you donate five, ten dollars, whatever you can monthly, we have all this bonus content. We also take that money and create scholarships. So you can go to the website. We have scholarships for recovery, doing recovery, therapy, retreats, different, a lot of cool things. We're doing scholarships right now. So you should go check all of that out. But the bonus content with their after their story, honestly, is like one of my favorite bonus content things we've done because they're so good about talking about everything and they talk about sexuality with their kids and talk about masturbation for their son, their experience. Like they have a lot going on with their kids. And, and so a lot awesome of cool stories with how around they that. Go about we're talking about their kids. Yeah. Awesome. How they go through that. Talk about, you know, what, what they saw as the kind of best and worst, like keys recovery um, and understanding God. And it's really interesting because so LDS background, um, she is still active. He's not, but he's so supportive of her activity in it. And so 
they talk about kind of working through their face differently, and they're and still I'm not totally sure super if he's close. Totally inactive, or if he just well, no, is, he like goes to church with yeah, her yeah, and stuff. Yeah. I, I won't put words in their mouth. Joe's right. probably being like, "That's not how I would describe myself." Joe, if you're listening, I'm sorry, I blew it. Forgive me. <laughs> um, but they, anyways, they've had some shifting in their faith, but like they still are totally into God. They're really connecting their marriage, so it's really cool to kind of watch how they. Um, how they talked about that super open in the bonus content talking about their sexuality, how sexuality has changed and grown for them, what they've learned around that. So, um, just awesome people all around the bonus content, the episode. So you guys are going to love this. Totally. And if you do love it, you could give us five stars on iTunes. That's super helpful for us. So if you want to take one minute and do that, that is really big, helps us out a ton. Um, to all of you who are already outsiders, thank you. You were changing lives. I think you already know that, but we never say thank you enough. And uh, to those of you who are listening for the first time, we welcome you wherever you're at. Welcome to Unashamed, Unafraid. We're glad that you're here. And with that, let's just get into this story with Joe and Amy. Joe, Amy, thanks for being here with us. Thank you. Appreciate you inviting us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, this is so, um, this was like hard because just even you guys walking in here, like you were like, oh, as we were just like sharing and talking, I'm like, we got to get this all on the microphone. Like I was like, stop, stop talking, stop sharing all the good stuff before we get in there. So, I mean, you guys just have so much to your story and so much to share. We're just honored to have you here. So thanks for being here. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. So um, just kind of tell us, you know, just we always kind of start with kind of background history. So kind of give us that story of, you know, what was growing up like? What was it like, you know, your guys' life before you met, got married, kind of all that? When did addiction start for you, Joe? Yep. Kind of all the basics. Awesome. Well, I grew up right up here in, or grew up right here in a little farm town. Draper at the time was just a little farming community. And um, I grew up a family of seven kids. I'm the fifth of, of seven. Um very traditional uh, Christian family. Um, we didn't talk a lot about sex. In fact, we didn't talk about sex. Uh, an example of that is the word pregnancy or pregnant was not something we said in our family. Whoa, so you like really didn't oh, yeah. talk about so, it. So like you were expecting, you were not, uh, you didn't say that pregnant word. That was So it's a, it's a stork that is delivered, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, something like that. So um, yeah, it just, it was an, it was a time period and an area um, and in our family that just was really taboo. Sex in general was taboo. We didn't talk about it at all. Um, so growing up, uh, yeah, I just, my first experience with sex was um, I was 12 or 13 years old. I was on a little trip with my parents and my two younger siblings, a business trip for my dad. Uh, we were at a motel somewhere in Idaho and uh, my parents had gone out to dinner with some business people and my younger siblings and I were left at the motel room. We didn't have cable TV. We had channels two, four and five. I mean, we had the, you know, the <laughs> yeah. normal network channels. And so in this motel room, we're flipping through channels. My younger siblings fall asleep. Uh, whatever program, you know, I just flipped through and, and uh, next thing I know, there's a movie with a sex scene in it and it just totally like rocked my world. I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know, I didn't know what I didn't know, but I just knew that there was this like incredible power, um, you know, in, in what was going on. I didn't know what to think of it. I, I 
felt like it was evil and yet it was drawing to me. It was like compelling me. And so I, um, I ended up honestly just not, I, I felt super guilty about it. And I ended up, and I, I don't know how descriptive I can be here, but I ended up with an ejaculation. Mm-hmm. Um, just didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. And literally I thought I had a disease. I thought I had contracted something from God because I had done something so awful. Like he was punishing you? Absolutely. Yeah. And it was right away. Like just immediately, like I just thought, oh my gosh, I have some weird form of cancer or something that's killing me or, you know, I'm, I'm being punished. Well, and even if you don't tell us anything else about your childhood years, that statement in and of itself yeah. kind of tells us all we need to know. Like that that would be your instinct would right. be like, something's happened. It's probably my bad and God probably hates me. Like totally. the fact that that would be the knee jerk for you. Yep. I'm just like, oh man. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's, you know, in, in essence, in a nutshell, that's what it was. And so for the next several years, it was me never talking to anybody about that or, you know, years of masturbation and just feeling like I was, uh, like I was broken. Yeah. So tell us growing. So, so how did teenage years, right? Grew up LDS, right? Yep. In LDS. So the missions kind of loom in there, right? Kind of post high school. That's yeah. the thing to do. And so how did all that go for you? Yeah. So a couple of quick things there. Um, I, I always wanted to serve a mission. I had two older brothers that served missions and uh, I loved, I loved worshiping God. I loved God. I've always felt like I'm a spiritual person and uh, it was a strong desire of mine. And yet um, the teachings of our church about masturbation, you know, it was, it was a, it was a bad sexual sin. And so there were a couple of times in my youth where I went to our bishop, uh, our local clergy, and uh, confessed that I was struggling with masturbation. And um, both times I was handed a book by Spencer W. Kimball called The Miracle of Forgiveness. And for any of you that know or have read that book, uh, it's got a I mean, it was written very in the strong 70s. opinions yeah, on that. 60s or 70s. Yeah, very strong opinions. And so, you know, the shaming. whole team in here is looking and looking over <laughs> at me. Um, I just. I, there's a reason the church doesn't endorse that book anymore and there's a no one else should. Exactly. So I describe that book like a Tootsie Pop. Like, yes, down in there, there is that gooey, like a testimony of Jesus in there, but it's surrounded by this huge rock card of shame. So if you can chip away through that much shame yeah. and find Jesus in there, power to you. There's just a lot better books. <laughs> the, pro- the problem for me there was yeah. that I, you know, our prophets to me spoke for God. And so whatever they spoke, that was God speaking to me. So I internalized yeah. everything in that book. Yeah. So I just felt like a pile of crap. The second time that I had gone to that confession and I got this book and I went home and I'm reading it in the front room, my mom walks in and says, how dare you do something so bad? And she didn't know what it was, but she just said, how dare you do something so evil or so bad, so wrong that you would have needed to go talk to our bishop. That you would have needed to read that book. You, yeah. you are, ooh. So she's just shaming you point blank. Yeah. Yeah, it was deep. Yep. Ooh. Ooh. Dang. Well, Amy, what about your childhood rearing and how like what how what happened with you when you were growing up? Siblings? Yeah, I am the second oldest of six children. And um, as far as sex education, if we're just going to jump into that, my mom was super open. We talked about everything. She was very um she was very good about teaching all of us about 
our bodies and sexuality and all of that stuff. Of course, like... Like in a good way, or you're like, this is a meshing, this is too open? No, in a good way for all of us, talking about like sex is good, sex is wonderful, but when the time is right, absolutely not before marriage, that kind of idea. Which is um, kind of how you are now, right? Mm-hmm. With how open you are with everything. Yeah. Which I'm, is awesome. I'm super your open. That, you're you're like kids. in a 1% of households probably. Yeah. That well, and there, that there was some shaming in that um, whenever my brothers were in the shower too long, my mom would bang on the door and say, quit masturbating and get out of the shower. And, <laughs> and so then us girls would be doing the same thing. Quit masturbating. Get out of the shower. I need to get in there, you know. So that was like a word used often. And whenever my brother's friends were around, my mom would take the time to talk about masturbation in front of all of their friends. And they were just like, oh, no, not the M talk in front of friends. So she just my wanted to. My kids would kill me if I brought I that up in front of all their friends. I know. The M talk. I'm just <laughs> adapting that now. Yeah, we, that's the M talk. We laugh about it. We laugh about it now. But, my, you know, for my, you know, for my mom, she just really, she had no education. She was the oldest of 12, seven brothers no sexual education and so she really wanted to do her part in teaching us all the right words and all the right things um so and for me as a teenager i explored i mean i didn't do the big nasty like you know what they say in school but i explored a lot um and I didn't feel shame about kissing or any of that, yeah. but I did feel shame when it came to doing more than kissing or something like that. I was a virgin on my wedding night, so I'm not saying anything <laughs> that I went. Um, but Not a place of judgment here. Right, you, don't have right. any, you don't owe us anything. It's fine. Um, but I did have to go to a bishop for one reason, and I remember how shaming that felt to me that like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to make it. Like, I'm not going to make it to the temple to get married. I'm not going to You're not on the A-team anymore. Right. And so that that brought a lot of shame to me. Um, But I also went into our marriage with, you know, a lot of education. And in fact, before we got married, I read a book with Joe, like, okay, here's what's going to happen. Like, I felt like together we were Is it a good book? Would you recommend it? I don't even remember it, but I mean, I remember reading it. I don't remember it. I remember, I, I didn't know that much about sex even at that point. There's so some I, couple listening right now that's like, what's that we book? need that book. What's yeah, that I book? No Between Husband and Wife? It was in the 90s, early yeah, 90s. Was early 90s. 90s. Yeah. But it was just teaching basic things about orgasm and, you know, all of those basic things about sex that he really had no idea. And I don't, not that I had experienced, so I didn't really know either. So we were both educating each other, which I thought was really helpful. That was good. And all of our, we have three married children. And so before, obviously there's been a long history of sex education and, and we ver- we talk openly about pornography and addiction and, Yay. and they come and talk to us about any and all of it. Um, and before they got married, my boys were more than, tell us everything we need to know. I'm like, well, some things are fun to discover on your own, but let me give you some really good details that'll be really right. helpful. Um, and they just had no shame at all about bringing their cute wives and saying, and I'm like, well, first of all, I don't want to do this if you're not okay as a woman to hear this from your mother-in-law. Um, but they were super open. That's but, awesome. But like, I just, I'm pausing here because I'm like, I hope contextually that people didn't miss that. That whatever it is that you're doing in your openness and talking about it, the fact that you would have your child, and not only just your child, your your in-law-to-be, be like, yeah, we'll totally openly talk to you 
about sex. Like how big that, because I look back on, on my marriage and others and I'm like, boy, that would have made a difference. Yeah, I, honestly. A, a relationship that, like that with a parent that yeah. I could have, that we could have had those conversations. I think some of stuff. that came from Amy and her family being quite open and mine being quite closed, but also it came from the 12-step program and a lot of the recovery tools that we just decided at some point there that we were going to be really open about talking about things and not feel like there were things, topics that we weren't willing to talk with our kids about. We wanted them to know that no matter what, they could come to us with any question. I, awesome. I did give all of my married kids the book before they got married with their spouses, um, and they were not ashamed. Uh -huh. Yeah. So they, yeah. they all delved into that one before That's they awesome. came and asked questions. So let's go back to, because in mm -hmm. our story, you guys aren't married yet. <laughs> Right. So you so high school comes and goes. You serve a mission. I served a mission Where'd to Mexico. Okay, Puebla, Mexico. I served, so you abla. Yep, I served two years there. Uh, awesome experience. Um, something I'll highlight there was just um, I actually just felt like you know I had I had gone to a bishop and told him my sins and and felt really good about where I was at and I was just determined that I was going to be the best missionary. I was going to be the best at keeping the rules. I was going to work the hardest, the longest. I was really, I took it pretty seriously. Was it like an earn God's love thing? Absolutely. It was completely earn God's love. Hey, we could hang out. Yeah. And uh, so, but at the end of that mission, after two years, um, with just a couple of weeks to go, I, I uh, had, I mean, it was just a long story, but I ended up masturbating in the shower. Um, I was the AP in, in the mission at the time, which... You know, I was like the leadership. Yeah, yeah leadership you're the big position. deal. Yeah, you've climbed the mountain. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And uh, and I just about fell apart. Like I just felt like the two years was a waste. All yeah. the work that I had done, it was you just, tripped over the finish. Yeah, line. I was down the drain. Yeah, and I and and at that point, I just knew that there was no way that God, you know, He wasn't going to accept that. It was it was I was again. It was just another verification that I was broken. I wasn't good enough. Yeah, Ooh. so we sorry we're just like relating to you so much. We're like it, we're like paused. Like oh, that's yeah. we know we know that story, right? So then how? So so you we come actually home. met in high school. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so you met in our, high school. We knew each other our junior year, and then our senior year we actually had seminary together, which is you know a religious class. Uh, the last half of our senior year, and we, I mean. We hit we, it off. Yeah. And I didn't want to kiss him because I didn't want it to be another one of those like physical she had a lot of relationships. A lot of things. <laughs> um, and I wanted it to be a deep friendship. And that's exactly what it was. Like yeah. we were best friends, best, best friends. And yeah. so when he left on his mission and I went off to school, it wasn't, there was no commitment, but we were just literally soulmates. Except for the promise ring. No promise ring. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, so we just. I if you're just not wrote, sure about the promise ring, you can go uh, watch Saturday's <laughs> yeah, Warrior. Yeah, right. yeah. Get some, get oh, some other yeah. tchotchke of Mormon. Just all the guys here are like, no, it's the worst. No. Yeah. But so, no, we, yeah. We, so we, we were just best friends. We were best friends. We we did obviously kiss before he left, so that was awesome. But um, we were best friends. I dated like crazy while he was gone. Um, when he came home, it was. Uh, Actually, 24 hours later, after he turned home, he asked me to marry him. And nine weeks later, we were married. Yep. But, That's so awesome. But that, comes out of a, but that comes out of a... I mean, you guys had kind of had a relationship. Oh, and it really wasn't, strong, strong friendship. Yeah, and I'd felt like I had had confirmations before I even left that, like, this was... 
this was the girl of my dreams. I, I didn't want anybody else. I, I wasn't interested in going to college and dating and, you know, meeting lots of yeah. girls and dating. Like, this was who I wanted to spend my life with. I knew it. Yeah, that's kind of how Autumn and I were because we didn't even date before we got engaged. Really? Yeah, because we were best friends. We yeah. just knew each other. We knew everything about each other. We loved each other. But yeah. we just didn't even date. And then one time I was like, hey, so yep. you want to get married? <laughs> that's how it was. And we were married nine weeks later. So we say this every time because it's such a prevalent thing that I just hope that out of all these episodes, one time there's one guy that's listening and he's like six months away from getting married and he goes, oh, wait, these guys are saying marriage isn't going to fix this whole thing. Maybe I should think about this. So did you go into it with that premise? Like, and I guess at the time, like coming right off your mission, like you hadn't been acting out a ton. You no, hadn't. I hadn't, but I had recently acted out. And so since that, being home? No, but but on the mission. Yeah, that like trip right over before. the finish line. So I yeah, exactly. So literally I came home and I was scared to death that like I was gonna get back into that bad habit of masturbation. Oh uh-huh. I didn't have a pornography addiction. Yeah. I, there was not it wasn't really accessible to me. Yeah. But masturbation was my issue. And so I was really worried about that. And so Amy was the woman of my dreams and at the same time, I thought the sooner we get married, the better, because now I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Yeah. So like um, sex that'll, is sol- fix- that'll solve the masturbation. Yeah. Issue. So if you haven't listened to any episode we've ever recorded before, <laughs> I'm just going to guess it didn't solve it. Didn't solve it. Yep. Didn't solve it. So the, the great thing, though, that we have been able to gain from all this is both of my sons before they got married pretty quickly when they were getting serious with the girls they were with, they were full disclosure. It's awesome. Awesome. Full disclosure. And they've been able to be really honest about awesome. all of it. And and I know one time I said to my son before he was even dating, I'm like, if you don't tell her, I will. And you don't want it coming from mama. <laughs> and so not that I would ever do that, but I just want him to know how important honesty was in a yeah. relationship. So. Because well, if they get that she, from the very beginning, yeah. then it's so much easier in their relationship rather than just like hiding it like so many of us did total bomb for drop. years and years and years where like Autumn had no idea that it had any issue whatsoever. Yeah, the new- that was Amy. Yeah. So so tell us, so porn wasn't really an issue. You get married, get married. fairy tale, whole thing's fixed. Yeah, everything's amazing. Life's good. Life's great. Um Dun, dun, dun. Amy ends up pregnant about <laughs> six months later, and uh, you know life happens, and work happens, and school happens. So I'm going to school. I'm working full time, a couple of jobs. Amy's working three jobs. Like we're super busy, um, and life just got stressful. And at some point, and it was right around the time that the internet really started to take hold, and people in their houses had internet connections. You know, the web crawler, and yeah. it was just getting started, but. Um, at some point there, I, I found internet pornography and I was hooked. Yeah, that was, that was, and for the next, you know, two and a half decades, that was. So for, for most men, it, it happens like in childhood, right? Cause even mm-hmm. men pre-internet, it was like, Hey, my cousin's house had all these playboys or come yeah. And so do you feel like you were like, I, I had I had the lust factor. I had the addiction factor. I just didn't have access. Definitely. And as soon as I had access, it turned yeah, on. Yeah, because I would even, you know, like masturbation, I would, I would, you know, use one of my sister's teenage magazines to look at. Right. So, yeah, right. I mean, the lust was absolutely there. It was, 
that was a part of my life. Yeah, because sometimes I just think people feel like there's like this causation thing, yeah. right? Like with drugs, which it's also wrong about drugs, right. that it will, and I think falsely so, right? That it's like, well, because you saw porn, now you're addicted to porn. Right. Right? Well, yep. because because you drank once, that now that made you an alcoholic. When really it's so much deeper than that, right? Way it's deeper. the shame going on and the That's stuff going is. on that you're getting into. And, yep. um, it yeah. was the fix. Yeah. It's awesome. So we were married about five years. Um when I approached him, and during that first what, five years, what made years, you approach him? I just knew. Like I remember, I was walking down the street from a friend's house, and that strong intuition and voice inside my head said, "Your your husband's looking at porn. Joe's looking at porn." Um, and I just knew, and, and I'm like, it makes sense because the last five years he has slowly emotionally detached from me. And it became so painful. Like, it was really noticeable that he was emotionally detaching himself from me. And I was just like, maybe it's the kids. Maybe it's stress work. I, You know, you're trying to blame it on everything, but what what could cause this emotional detachment? Does he not need me anymore? Does he not love me anymore? Um, you know, what's going on? Because when I ask him, he says he does, but it doesn't feel like it. And so I noticed a detachment because we were so close. And so I remember walking into the office. There was a closed door. We had the computer in there. And I opened up the door and I said, are you looking at porn? And he like literally shocked. And he was like, yeah. I was like, okay, go tell the bishop. Let's figure this out. Let's get it done. You know, I figured it was just like that. You go confess your sin. You stop doing it. Never do it again. And we can move on with our life and good to go. Let's figure this out. It's over. And it worked. That was it. That's the end of our story. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. You can, uh, you can uh, give us five stars on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that didn't work. It's sad that we laugh about that. <laughs> I know, but it's but yeah, you but you believe that because it sneaks up on you, right? Like you're not yeah. walking around being like, I have this addiction. I probably need treatment and healing, right? You're like, yeah. I'm going to quit now. I'm totally. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was always going to be the last time. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, so what'd you do with that? So I so. go to the bishop. I I confess, and he um, he opens up his scriptures and reads some scriptures that tells me how I'm breaking my wife's heart and my kids' hearts, and you know, which I knew <laughs> that wasn't a secret to me. That wasn't the problem. Um, and then he he asked me to stop doing it, come back and see him the next week. I came back the next week. He said, "How's it been?" I said, "Great." I felt relief. I confessed. I was on the right track. I was never going to do this again. And he said, great, go home and, and don't ever do that again. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, within months that I was right back in that place again. Mm-hmm. And it just got deeper. So is is this the point in time you kind of entered your height of addiction? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, yeah. Um, he, he would never come to me and say, hey, I'm still struggling. It was always me Using digging, your intuition. Yeah, and digging in and saying, something's not right here. I just feel it. Something's not right. Like, you're so emotionally distant. Why are you so, I'm stressed. I'm this, I'm that. And and it would be, I, no, I'm not looking at porn. No, what? no, I told you I wasn't. Um, and then it would be me asking, asking, asking until finally it was like, yeah, I did. I'm like, okay, well, what are we going to do? You, you just can't keep doing that. That's like, it's killing me. So, and I want to come back 
to like what was going on with you there. But so tell me like height of height of addiction at the at the yeah. lowest low. Like what did your acting out look like? like yeah, this it was, porn every day. This is it was internet other stuff pornography. Comes in, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, you know what's funny with my story is uh, I could go weeks and even months at a time without. Um, but then I would I would just like well, when you relapse into it, you, it'd be in a that's right, and then I would just binge be, on it. Yeah, exactly. And I would I would stay late at work, or I would stay all night at work. I'd pull all nighters where I'm you know working on projects, but really, I mean, I'm just I'm into the internet porn and yeah. uh, just digging myself a deeper hole and feeling yeah. more and more worthless. Um, and and what's key to me here, which I didn't have words for at the time, but I just didn't I, I didn't know. Um, really what was going on, but I didn't, I honestly just felt like if Amy knew who I really was and that this was who I, if she could like see me in this moment, she would, she would never stay with me. She wouldn't love me. Um, and I felt that, you know, I felt that same way about God actually, that like there was just, there was no way that he could love me. Those fault, faulty core beliefs that kick in. Yep. Exactly. So, so you were, keep me, kept so me from talking. were you just kind of at like, uh, I'm just going to take this to my grave? Yes. Like, and, you're yep. just like, this isn't going to change. Like, because eventually you get to the point where you like, even in your most denial, you realize like, I'm actually not probably going to quit this time. Because I've told myself I'm going to quit this time a hundred times. Yeah, it was it was the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I, I literally, there were times where I was like, okay, I'm going to kick this. I'm going to kick this. I'm going to kick this. And then there were times where I was like, I'm going to hell. Like, I'm just going to hell. Yeah. And I'm I, I'm going to live this out. I'm going to hide this from Amy because I don't want to break her heart again. Um, I'm going to try to live the best life I can, but I know I'm going to hell. Yeah. That was my life. I, I just was resigned to that. I knew that that was what was destined for me because I couldn't break free. I just didn't know. I didn't have any way to do it. But And you've done such a good job of describing like God as you knew him then. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to insert out of context, God as we know him now was not going to leave you there. I was going to continue to chase after your heart to disrupt you. Yeah. So when did that disruption start? And when did when did you start you know, yeah. engaging in recovery, if I can use that blanket word? Yeah, it was definitely a process. Um, it, you know, a key moment was we were on vacation in Hawaii with some friends and one night in the early morning hours, uh, Amy starts talking to me, asking me questions. And the key moment there was that she said, Joe, I'm not going to leave you. Like, I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm here with you and I'm staying with you. I need to know, tell me what's going on. And it was that her committing to me and, and just, you know, that sense that, okay, I can be vulnerable with her and she's she's going to stay here. And so at that point, I just became completely vulnerable. I shared everything in my life, not even just the sex stuff, but just anything that was troubling me that I'd carried with me all those years, I shared. And uh, and it was a pivotal moment. We came home off that trip. I immediately you know, went back to our bishop and sought counseling. And luckily, we uh, were introduced to... Uh, uh, you know, the Lifestar program is what it was. Right. In fact, that's where Chris and I, you know, kind of attended some of those things together, and Amy got help there as well. That was our introduction to uh, recovery. I remember walking in. I've been going to Lifestar for probably about a year, and I knew you guys because living close to you guys, being in the same ward and stuff. And then I walked into a new group, and Joe's sitting right there, and I, I walk in, and I, I'm like, oh, 
Hey, man, <laughs> I know this guy. Surprise. And I'm, I'm like embarrassed at the same time. I'm like, wait, we're both here for the same thing. <laughs> right. I got as and, much and dirt on you as you have yeah, on me. Right. So we're, that's yeah. right. And here we are many years later that yeah. we, it's created a bond between us yeah. and a relationship that, that has lasted years and years. Yeah. And I think the thing that I was hoping when we started Lifestar that that would be the beginning and the end. Well, and, and I want to take a step back. It was another 12 years yeah, of I wanna... a roller coaster ride that I honestly thought three years ago I was done. Like, I can't be on this ride with you anymore. I, I know I said I would. Well, so that initial disclosure is 12 years ago. The trip. Probably 13. Mm-hmm. I call it yeah. trip. 13 years ago. So you come off the trip. Like, awesome. Let's do this. Like, I am Powered just, up. I am just fired up. Like, let's fix you. Let's figure out what's wrong with you. Because you've get... been a champion of his forever. Oh, I've always believed in him. Yeah. And, and like I've said this before, I loved him more than he loved himself. I knew that for a fact. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, it's just our relationship. And um, so when we went to Lifestar, it was a great education for me too, because all of a sudden I started looking at myself and mm-hmm. I went, okay, so he's got things, but I've got, I've got history too. And this is something that um, I have a recovery story too. Like I have things, maybe I'm not addicted to pornography and maybe I haven't betrayed or lied or whatever, but I still, I still, I still learned so much. And what it gave to me was compassion for the addict, true compassion for the addict. Yeah. So, when, so when was your low point and what was that trauma experience like? Like when, when did you have your bottoming out with all of this because it's often we found it's not at the same time like it's different you know i mean and so for you i mean just kind of described for him for you like when was the most hopeless low point i think i had several low low points that i thought i don't think i can breathe another day living this life with him i just i love him so much but i literally can't do this pain and anguish and betrayal anymore um, I remember one time I was at education week and he had told me that he had acted, he relapsed and, um, and I came home and I'm like, you're not going to be able to be there. You need to leave. And he was gone for three days. Um, but when he came back, he saw me in such a state of trauma that it shocked him. I was in our baby's room and I was sobbing so hard. It was like, when you think of, the Old Testament when women were wailing, like my whole soul was just broken that I didn't think I could stop the wailing and the pain. And I usually never showed that part to him because I didn't want him to see like how broken I was about this. And obviously he knew I was heartbroken, but he just came in and saw me on the floor. Like just, I couldn't even help my baby. I couldn't help anybody. It was just... I was just a mess. And he just tried to talk to me and I literally couldn't even speak to him because the tears were just immense. And then I said to him, I think I need to leave. Like, good luck taking care of our family. I'm out. And I remember I went up to my friend's house that lived an hour away and I just, for two days, locked myself in one of her rooms and just sobbed. So that was a low from um but i was in recovery and so i'm like okay what boundaries do i need to set what do i need to do 
So I get back in. I'm like, okay, I've just not been doing my side of the recovery. So I just need to work on me more. And so I started setting boundaries and I started, you know, working that really intensely. Like, okay, we have six kids. I can't, I just can't ruin their lives. And that's what it felt like to me. Like, I can stand this. I can keep doing this. I just can't do this to them. And so um, I just started, okay, here's the boundaries. Here's, if we're going to stay together, this is what it's got to look like. Um, And I just started doing those things. Um, And then we finished through Lifestar and um, we've been, we were, I don't even know if we were in SAL at that time. That was years later. Anyways, and so the roller coaster ride just goes, right? Like we're doing so great. And then crash and burn and then back up again. Let's, let's keep doing this. And then it was about um, probably three or four years ago where um, I was at that point that I was emotionally done and I had already taken on, I can do this singly. I can move on. And I had at that point to emotionally detach from him because I was so, um, the trauma was increasing for me, like, a lot. Um, and so I know we went back to one of our, um, actually one of our Lifestar counselors, and I walked in and I said, I love him so much, but I am done. And she looked at him and said, when I see that look in a woman's eye, you better believe her. You better believe that she's done. And she's like, so unless you figure something out, Joe, I believe her when she says she's done. And I just, at that point, I was on a freight train moving forward with myself. I was like, here's the things about me that I'm changing. Here's the things about my understanding about my core beliefs that I'm changing. Here's the things that pornography did to me. Totally trashed my self-esteem. Every part of my self-esteem. Yeah. I didn't love myself. I didn't love my body. I didn't love anything about me because I was never enough for him. Sexually, obviously, I couldn't be enough if he was looking at porn. You know, physically, I couldn't be enough. No matter how much I worked out or whatever I did, it was never going to be enough. And clearly, spiritually, because he can't even emotionally connect to me. And so, I just like, I just, I had always surrendered it to God. Like, my relationship with God was so different from his. I had an accident when I was little where my head was crushed and I was run over. And miracle of God that I'm alive today. But I had such powerful experiences with God that I knew God was with me. And I rebelled pretty good as a teenager. <laughs> pretty good. And even then I knew God loved me. Yeah. And that He would always be with me. And so my journey with Joe, God was my constant companion every step of the way. But I just didn't know how much longer I could hold Him up and well, my family up and myself up. And at that point, I'm like, if you don't figure you out, I have to move on. Well, and so what I kind of hear you describing, you can talk about it more. And Joe, you can talk about how that moment in the therapist office of like lines in the sand, brother, you know, affected you. But you, it seems to me, Amy, as you're talking, I'm like that you shifted from you're going to fix his recovery and you're going to make it happen to kind of letting that go. And giving that to God, I mean, like your problems are your problems, Joe. Like, and I and we see this all the time with women that like they cross this line where they stop trying to like 
they're going to fix it. They're going to make sure it's okay to like that surrender moment of letting that go. Like, was that accurate of like, for sure. I think because, um, this whole, you know, at this point we've been married, what, 23 years. Like at this point, like there's so much control that we're trying to have over this because it's so out of control, right? Like Mm -hmm. we have no control over this addiction or how they're, what they're viewing, what they're feeling, what they're going through. It just feels so helpless. And so when they start to get in recovery, it's like, oh, good. Did you, did you read your book? Did you go to your meeting? Did you do this? Because now we have something to hold on to. And that codependency kicks yeah, in. Big time. And you're like, okay, this is going to help our marriage. We're going to be able to stay together if you just do your, your stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Stop. And you just pull it together. Like we're gonna Self-editing, be able to, Jason. She's going to put you be, out of a job. You're welcome. <laughs> and, and so for me, it was like, don't you want this as bad as I do? And um, when I finally got to that point, I had this amazing dream where um, I was standing in front of Joe with my hands open to him, like my palms up, like reaching out with my, like reaching out to him and his back was to me. And I was like, just pleading with him to turn around, just begging him to see me, to turn around and be able to give back. And I felt like I was, he, he was just, his back was to me, he would not turn around. And then I turned around and all six of my children were standing there with their hands open to me, waiting for me to turn around. And that was a big changer for me because I was like, you know what? I need to show up. I need to show up for myself. I need to show up for my kids. And even though I, I had shown up, I was their mother, I was taking care of them. Emotionally, something was distant for me too because I had invested everything into fixing him. Yeah, it was a shift. I mean, a yeah. paradigm shift for you, totally. right? I mean, I would use the word empowerment right yeah. there. Yeah, and that's when I just literally surrendered it all to God. Like, I love this man with my whole soul, but he's got to decide what his life looks like. I know what mine looks like, and I hope it's with him, but that's not up to me anymore. Giving him to God. Totally. And, and then I just freight trained myself. Was that scary for you at that point? Be like, you know what? I'm giving this over to God and what happens happens? Or or were you like, I trust in God that he's going to make this work? It had been (laughs) literally decades, right? Of me trying to figure out how to surrender that and me trying to let go. And I remember one of my first therapy sessions, my therapist said to him, to me, your death defying experience will be to let go of him. And I was like, what do you mean let go of him? I don't have any control of this guy anyways. He's doing whatever he wants, you know? And he's like, when you let go of him, that'll be your most death-defying experience. And it was. And in return, that became a really pivotal moment in my, you know, in my recovery. Um, That thought that, oh no, she's moving on. Like, if if I don't figure my stuff out, she's figuring her stuff out. Yeah, yeah, I'm a loser. And that was, uh, that was a big deal to me. Like that was just, that was key. And, and so not that I wasn't taking recovery seriously, cause I really wanted to get better. And I had, I had, I felt like there were things that I learned in all of the different systems and all of the different recovery tools that we used, but not one of them was like, this is my savior. Boom, the click, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were things about the 12-step program that were fantastic, and there were some things about it that didn't resonate well with me. Um, and yet, all of those things helped me along my way. Well, probably the same thing with therapy, right? There's probably some exactly. great things that came from therapy, but it wasn't live all, end all. That's right. Yep. Absolutely. And so, I had to find that on my own. And when she finally decided that she was letting go, 
in in one sense, I was scared to death because I'm like, I'm going to lose her. And in the other uh, aspect, I, like I started going, okay, I've got to make my recovery work for me. And it, and it's, it's going to look, I, it doesn't have to look the same as somebody else's recovery. Yeah. So that was important to me. Yeah. So what, what were the big shifts for you? Like, what were the big shifts for you? Cause obviously like we, we're still hanging out with you in this God complex that yeah. God is a distant, yep. mean, punishing. And so like, what really shifted for you to recovery? Cause tell yeah. me, so what's your, what's your sobriety now? Uh, December of 2016. Okay, so we're we're three years. I'm not that good at math. Yeah. Three years of change. Where it's like you've yep. like you've had some real change, like and, and so like what? Tell us what yeah. happened. Like we so, all want to know. We want the answers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 unfortunately, like it's not going to be the same for every single person. But again, I think the important thing is that that we all have to find the recovery tools that are going to work best for us. I ended up actually finding, um, I was listening, I was watching a Wayne Dyer movie. Wayne Dyer uh, wrote a whole bunch of books. He just passed away a few years ago. Wonderful man. Uh, and he cre- he wrote a, a, he directed a movie and, and was starred in this movie. It's on YouTube uh, called The Shift. And I watched this. It's a two-hour movie. And it was powerful to me. It talked taught me about being present and not worrying about things in the past and not worrying about the future. And he talked about this, uh, the Tao Te Ching, which I had never heard of. It's a Chinese writing by a guy named Lao Tzu from 2,500 years ago. And so Wayne Dyer had written a book and I was interested after I watched this movie, I was interested in this book. So I decided to get it on Audible and I decided to go out and actually spend time in our garden and in our yard, which I never did, never. Amy was the gardener. Amy was the one always in the yard. I didn't really care for it at all. But I spent several weeks at the beginning of the the spring or summer of that year um, listening to this book. It's called Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life by Wayne Dyer. And in that book, he's taking every verse of the Tao Te Ching and then sharing his thoughts on it and how it's helped change his life. And uh, I'm listening to this as I'm pruning rose bushes and just connecting with God in the most beautiful way. And it's got such a profound effect on me. These are, and for me, it needed to happen this way. I had spent my life, I'd spent my life praying with all my heart to have this taken away from me, this burden and this compulsion. And I'd spent my life reading scriptures and attending the temple and going to church services and serving my guts out, trying to... Earn it. Trying to earn God's love. That's what it was. I was trying to earn His love. And in this beautiful, mystical moment, during one of these recitings of the Tao Te Ching, listening to Wayne Dyer, I felt God's love so strongly. It pierced every part of me. It, it bathed me in love like I'd never experienced before. And in that moment, it, not in verbal words, but it was communicated to me so clearly that I'm loved beyond measure. There's nothing I can do 
to get outside of God's love and that he absolutely accepted me wholly in that moment. And three plus decades of shame literally melted away. And I was not the same person after that. Like it literally changed me. It changed my concept of God. No longer was he this this judge that was there to punish me if I wasn't doing exactly what he wanted me to do. He was just love and compassion and kindness and forgiveness. That's God. And so, at first I didn't know what to do with that. I was so amazed and grateful for the experience. And it kind of shook me. It shook my faith because, again, I had spent my whole life trying to earn that love and doing what I felt like church leaders were telling me to do in order to be able to get in His good graces. And what this experience told me is that I didn't need to earn any of it. It was just there. And when that shame melted away, so did the compulsion. It melted away. And for me, it's never been the same. So, that was, that was in the spring of 2017. And, uh, yeah, it changed me in a really profound way. Wow. <clears throat> I remember hearing that story before, and it's just, it's, it's just beautiful to me. So because I, I think of all that shame that you had the whole, yeah. your whole life, like hearing your story and hearing it again now, I just get blown away by by that one moment that affected you so much that you're like, and and it's really just understanding the love that God has for you. Yeah. To take all that away, take the shame away, turn to God with His arms open to you. Yeah, it was rewriting the script. It was rewriting my story. And what's beautiful is that, like, God just places things in front of us. I don't know how I came across that video of Wayne Dyer. I have no idea. I don't remember. Um, but shortly after that, you know, I came across other writings. Um, God sent it to you. Yeah. <laughs> e- e- Eckhart Tolle, uh, The Power of Now. That profoundly changed my life. I I went on long walks and just listened to it over and over and over again. Things like, you know, he, he would say, Die to the past every moment. You don't need it. Only refer to it when it is relevant to the present moment. That was a profound shift in my life. Like, I don't have to carry this baggage with me. That's not who I am. And so I could let go of it. And and I didn't have to worry so much about what was going to happen to me in the future because I knew God loved me unconditionally. I was free to just live my life and be content with who I was in the moment. And then, you know, an, another really uh, powerful book for me was was one called The Untethered Soul. Love that book. It is the most, I, I've, yeah, I've, I've read and listened to that probably at least a dozen, maybe 18 times. In fact, I read the last chapter to Amy again last night. And the last chapter is scripture to me because what it does is it just, in beautiful words lays out 
hey, what if God isn't judgment? What would that be like if God is not judgment? What if God is love? And that's my experience. And that's, so that, like, that's my mission. That's my message is we got to wake up to, to the reality that we don't have to prove that love. If we just accept it. Yeah, just accept God's love and just be gratitude, just gratitude. Be just be grateful in the moment for what you have in that moment. And it's been a totally different life. I'm at peace and absolutely love everything about life. What was the the, the next phase of that though then goes into I'm in this amazing place and all of a sudden Amy's really struggling my trauma hit that's what my next question was is what when he's going through this what is your experience like so i noticed there was a change i could tell there was a change and i'm like okay how do i trust this change you know is this gonna last is it not gonna last what how do i believe in this um but there were just times where i'm like he has changed like I'm, you could see it physically I, that he I was different. I could see that it was changed, but then what it did for me is my trauma was hitting like every couple of weeks. Like I was in deep, deep trauma to where like I was in one of the worst places I've ever been in trauma, like life-threatening kind of a place. And I didn't expect that. But what I learned from that, and I had to do some pretty special therapy, and, and I, I know at one point I looked at Joe and I said, I'm so glad we've been able to work on you for so long. I need your help. Like, I'm drowning in this trauma, and I don't know what to do. Like, I can't breathe. And he's and he's like, but I'm not. I'm not that. I'm not even looking at anything. Like, how could he be in trauma? And I think what it did was all of a sudden he was safe, and all those feelings that I had been holding in for 25 years of that deep, deep pain and fear and abandonment and the depths of my soul were just crying, and I was grieving. It was safe enough to finally process that stuff. And it was safe enough to say to him, do you know what I was doing when you were doing this? Do you know where, do you know that I was in the closet sobbing when you were doing this? Do you know how much time I spent crying or sobbing or- On your knees? Or do you know the time that I took the kids and actually left, and then you found out and I came back? like. Do you know how many times I tried to leave because I just didn't think I could stay anymore? Um, and so all of my bitterness, my anxiousness, my um, it just came flooding out. And it was so overwhelming for me because he was now able to hold my pain. And never in that first 25 years could he hold my pain. I had to just keep closing that door on that pain and keep taking and keep taking it until I felt I couldn't take it anymore. And then when he finally became safe, that door was open and I'd crack it a little bit and the trauma would come out and I would see like, can he hold this? And then I'd hurry and close the door because I'm like, I don't think I can hold this. I'm I'm gonna give you the rock and see if you hold it for a minute, but I'm gonna take it back. Yeah. And I probably did that. he was finally in a place to be able to hold that rock for you. Yeah, and I probably did that for six months until I knew that he could hold it. That he could hold my pain. And then I'd open the door just a little bit more. And a little bit more, you know, and I still get triggers here and there. I don't get triggers about women at all. Like that used to be a big trigger. Like we can go to Cancun and it doesn't matter if they're wearing anything or nothing. It doesn't, there's no trigger for me. 
because I'm not that person anymore either. Right. I see people as people, not as objects. Whereas when he was in his hardest place, I only saw them as objects because they were, you know, they became objects to me because I was threatened by them. Right. And now I'm like, I can humanize Well, you saw yourself as an object. Right. And so that changed for me. And the trauma that just started keeping in, well, at that same time, he has this amazing mystical experience. Well, then he's in a total faith crisis. So he starts researching all these things about so our religion. I'm going to get into this in the bonus content. So okay. you're going to have to, because I want to spend time on it. Because mm-hmm. what we want to do right now is like, you guys are kicking in Close the door. So we want to okay. We want to hit the home run while we're here. Um, um, but I, I just want to share one thing mm-hmm. that helped me in my recovery more than anything. And this is part of the message that I started to share with Joe. And it healed both of us and it healed our children enough for all of us to move forward wherever we're at with God. And that is I started doing affirmations every day and I was learning how to tap tap those affirmations in. Um, I wrote a model for myself and those affirmations li- literally started to save my life because I started to get some of my self-esteem back and my love for myself and those faulty core beliefs. I just started letting go of those faulty core beliefs and just getting rid of them. But but the one mantra that we keep and we've kept as our family is, my worth is set and everything is an experience. And, I love and that. that. I even wrote that down because I wanted to make sure that we hit that piece. Yeah. And, and that became so vital for me to see that for myself, to see that for him and see that for my children. Like, Say it again for those that are worth, ADD like me and probably missed it. Your worth is set and everything is an experience, meaning your worth is set with God. You don't have to prove it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything. It's just there. Your worth, your value, it's set with God. And guess what? It's set with me too. Like Joe doesn't have to prove his worth. He doesn't have to do anything. His worth is his worth, right? Like his value is forever. He doesn't have to prove that to anybody and neither do I. Neither do my children. Neither do you. Right. Or anybody else. And then experiences just become learning experiences. Everything that we do, it's either something that... You know, brings us happiness and peace, or it doesn't, and we. It brings gravitate. you closer to God, or it yeah. doesn't. It right. brings you, you know, closer to connection with another human being, or it doesn't. But it eliminates the shame. Yeah, and I think for our family that became huge. Let's get rid of the shame, and and that's part of the story with my son coming out gay. Where I went to him, and I, I kind of have this radar that I'd know if my teenage boys were looking at porn. Like I'd never, I literally still to this day have never seen it. I've never caught anybody. And we had three teenage boys and Joe in the house. What's about, you got, this is just, you're just an advanced version of your own mother. Stop masturbating in the shower. That's right. You just, you're just, your radar's at a higher level. Yeah, and I would just wake up in the night and be like, something's not right in the house. And then I would just like tune in with God. Who do I need to go ask? Who do I need to talk to? And it became this really tender conversation of, hey, what's going on? Like, do you, are you stressed at school? Are you, is something going on with your friends? What's happening? Because I have this feeling that you acted out. And it would, they, every time they'd be completely honest with me, yeah, mom, I did. And I'm like, how did that make you feel? So I'm going to make you repeat all of that because that's one of the questions I want to ask you in your bonus content is how you talk to your kids because I think you guys are just crushing that. Um, and so to end, I, and I ask everyone this question because 
I think it's a personal, right? Your story, your personal journey is your journey. And I think your story will relate to people the way that no one else's will, no one that we've shared or will share in the future. Um, and so the question I want to ask you is, um, you both know what that ho- what those hopeless moments feel like. Like, you know that place where you're in recovery and you're just like, this has all been for naught. This is a waste of time. It's not coming. I guarantee you that there's some listening to your story that say, that's great for them. That's not going to be me. Cool, it worked for you. It won't work for me. So if we had that individual sitting here, right, for Joe, for you, another addict like you and me and Amy for you, another woman in that trauma, if we had them here right now with us, and we'll end with this. What would you tell them? You do whatever you have to do to, to find that deep connection and relationship with God. And for me, it was being in nature and connecting with him on a really personal level there. Um, meditation has become really important to me. Um, it's, that, it's those moments where we can just quiet all the noise and just connect spiritually with God. And by doing that, it changed things for me. So no longer did I put, did I allow somebody else to be between me and God and tell me what God thought of me. Because the truth is, I think if we, if we knew who we were and how loved we were, it, life would be different. It would be completely different. It has been for me. That's awesome. I Amy, think you got the I final think, word. Yeah, I think for uh, women out there listening to this, I would want them to know they're not alone. It's a really, really lonely place. When you're in trauma, you just feel so completely alone, and um, the flight or fight is so real. You just you want out. You want to find safety. You want to find peace. And I just want to say you're not alone, and your worth is set, and everything is an experience, and trust yourself. Trust yourself. Trust that intuition. Absolutely. And surrender it to God. Surrender to God and allow Him to tell you what comes next. Because it's not over. Love that. So on our connecting with God, um, as you noticed before, we're really into music. That's one way for us as a group of is really connected. So we allow everyone to kind of end their story with a song that they feel is reflective of their recovery. Um, so Joe... Amy, if you had a song to attach your story to send everybody out with, what would it be? Do you have one? You play yours. You love that. Zach one. Williams, no longer slaves. Zach Williams, no longer love slaves. That. Thank you for being here with us. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Thanks for joining Appreciate us. Appreciate it. Our pleasure. Thank you Thanks so for much. all you guys are doing. I'm not Of deliverance from my enemy.
Oh